Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. We're going to continue, and actually we're going to wrap up today, the uh, discussion about comforting the needy, or basically a, a kind of a mental health discussion. But this is about how, how do we help other people when they're grieving? How do we help take care of other people when they are suffering? <coughs> Each of us has a different capacity to be able to do that. So as we go through this, I don't want... I want to encourage you not to judge yourself against anybody else. Don't compare yourself. Don't everybody compare yourself to Joe, all right? We don't want to compare ourselves to each other. But what we do want to look at is what is my capacity to be able to help others, and can I do it better? Can I, can I grow in the, the abilities that I have? Now, just to kind of refresh where we came from last week, we talked about the fact that you may be uncomfortable ministering to somebody else in a time of need when somebody else is grieving when somebody else is hurting when they have struggles going on in their life you may be uncomfortable doing that that's normal most people are uncomfortable around other people's grief when you see a person crying most people don't naturally just want to just feel good about that situation and not that we necessarily would want to there should be a level of discomfort that comes with seeing other people grieving the real thing, the real, the real meat of these lessons are what do we do with that? How do we handle that situation? We've seen uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, this has kind of been our recurring theme through all of these studies about mental health is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be afraid. That God knows we won't be afraid. That's not what he's saying here. But God doesn't give us a spirit of overwhelming fear. He doesn't give us a spirit, a spirit of crippling fear, of, of debilitating fear. He gives us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So how do we use that, that power from God? How do we use those blessings from God to minister to other people? What does that look like as we comfort other people? That's what we want to talk about today. So just to kind of set some framework here or groundwork, uh, we'll start off by thinking about what we typically do. And this is this may be what I typically do, and maybe maybe you might see some familiarities in here. But maybe the first thing we do when we see somebody else grieving, or we know that somebody else has had a loss, or has has lost a job, or there's something happened in their life, maybe we do some of these things. Do you ever just avoid the grieving altogether? You know, it's I'm not comfortable in those situations, so I'm just going to stay away. I don't know what to say, so it's easier for me just to stay away. Sometimes we see that with people who are hurt. Um, and, and maybe not so much with people who have lost loved ones, but sometimes you'll see this with people who are sick because sometimes that sickness is an ongoing, an ongoing situation where people just isolate them. They don't invite them to go out to eat. They don't invite them to do things. It's almost like what they have is contagious. That grief is contagious, and I don't want any of it. So sometimes we avoid people who are grieving, and maybe, we, maybe we're not the people who avoid, but maybe we're the ones who, who go but we feel compelled to say something. That's often what you hear, right? I don't know what to say in a situation. Well, saying something comes from a, 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 a source within us of, of discomfort that feels like we need to say something. 
from the idea that words are the primary source of comfort. I want to also break that dichotomy in our mind. I want to break that, that concept, that paradigm in our mind, that words are our primary source of comfort. Because as, as we go through this, what I want you to see is it's not what I say as much as that, I, that I'm there and that I listen that's the big things that we want to think about. But sometimes we, sometimes we do things like this. Sometimes we compare. I know how you feel. My aunt went through so-and-so too, right? Do we ever do that? Do we ever compare what somebody else is going through with something? You know why we do that? To make us feel more comfortable because we can relate to it, right? My aunt went through it. I know how my aunt responded. I know how I respond to my aunt. So that's how I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to treat you like my aunt. That's a, that's a comfort mechanism. That's a... That's a, that's a process that we do to make us feel more comfortable because we can we can take a, a situation and we can compare it to a situation we've been through before and then we can kind of know how to respond but think about how that ministers to or doesn't minister to the person that's hurting at the time All right maybe we minimize oh you shouldn't feel that way do i ever do that look at my kids and my wife here you shouldn't feel that way, right? What does that mean? It means that you should feel the way I feel, right? Or that your feelings are not valid. That's often what we do when we try to, when we try to give comfort to somebody. We, we, we minimize. Why do we do that? Because it makes us feel more comfortable, right? What about judging? You shouldn't feel that way. This is, this is, uh, these things could be worse, right? We try to minimize or judge how people feel. You shouldn't feel that way. So these are things that we typically do. Uh, and, and also we might become impatient. Um, impatience comes from a lot of times because we want people to heal on our schedule, right? We want them to feel better when we want them to feel better. So you should be feeling better by now. What's going on? It's been a month. It's been a year. Why aren't you better? These are things that we typically do. So I put these up here somewhat to kind of be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but also to realize this is things that we often do. These are things that we say to people because we want to be more comfortable. If we can get over the idea that comforting other people is primarily about comforting us, then we're going to get to a place where we can really, truly minister to other people because we are striving to meet them where they are. And we're going, to, we're going to push down our level of comfort so that we can comfort them. And I'll give you a little hint. If we can do that, we're going to get more comfortable dealing with people who are grieving. Because we're going to see real healing come. And we're going to, we're going to, to, to be benefited by that. We're going to be blessed by that. So let's go back and remind ourselves of some principles of comfort that we've already talked about. The first one. William read for 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of some comfort. Right? All comfort. God is the source of comfort. Now let me caution this here as we get into this. Just because God is the source of comfort doesn't mean that we use God to beat people about the head and neck. All right? That's not how God comforts us, and we don't, want, we don't want him to comfort us that way. But we realize that God is the source of comfort. That's where our strength is going to come from to comfort other people. And that's ultimately where their comfort and their healing is going to come from is when they grow to understand 
God and his will and his purpose in their lives. But God is the source of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you don't catch that, comfort is all over that passage. And it comes from the Lord. We see we receive comfort from the Lord, and that's how we comfort other people. First Thessalonians 5:14. We noted this last week. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. We have to be discerning in the comfort that we provide each other. Remember, we don't. We don't uphold the unruly. We don't warn the faint-hearted. And so that means that we have to be discerning in the way that we interact with people. When somebody is faint-hearted, when they're little-spirited, we don't run over them like a bulldozer. If they're weak, we don't treat them like they're strong. And we've got to be patient in all situations. That means we've got to be long-suffering. We've got to persevere with people. We've got to from a certain perspective, we've got to put up with people and their situations so that we can help them to get better. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We've already noted this. For God's got not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. And so we learn from that that God gives us the love to want to help other people. He gives us the power to be able to go and help other people. And he gives us a sound mind so that we can know what to do in the situation if we will allow him to work in our lives, if we'll allow his, his word to guide us and direct us, if, it, if we'll allow his, his spirit to, to help us to be sensitive to the needs of others. So these principles of mine, now let's dive into how would we comfort other people? What would it look like for us to comfort somebody in a way, let's put it this way. How would you comfort somebody in a way that you would want to be comforted? You ever thought about it from that perspective? If you were in that person's shoes, what would you want them to do or even say to help you feel more comfortable? Not comfortable, to be comforted. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And we begin by thinking about, well, how does God comfort us? We saw in 2 Corinthians that God is a God, is a God of mercy and God of all comfort. He comforts us. So how is it that God would comfort? How does God comfort you? Well, just think about the things that God does for you or with you or to you that help you to feel more comforted. Does it bring you any comfort to know that God listens to you? That God hears you when you cry out to him? When you pray to him? Does it bring you any comfort at all? Well, yes, it does, right? I see faces like people going, yeah, that does. Well, that's the comfort that we then can help other people. Think about what... Um, Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near those who are brokenhearted and saves such as has a contrite spirit. You know what God does? He wants to be near people when they're hurting. He wants to, he wants to be, have his ears open to their prayers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Christian, you need to be confident in the fact that God hears and answers your prayers. That you have the petitions that you've offered up to God. 
So if God comforts you in time of need through listening to you, wouldn't that be something we want to do to other people? We want to listen. So we'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. What else does God do? God demonstrates love. You know, um, this is our passage that we've been that we're just teed up to in our in our Sunday morning class. But I want you to listen to how God demonstrates love for us. For when we were still without strength, at the right time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That means when we were ugly, God did something beautiful for us. What does that look like then when you're comforting other people? You know, people's lives can get pretty ugly. Grief can be an ugly thing for people to go through. It can be a traumatic thing for people to go through. People can say hurtful and mean things when they are hurting. So as we think about how God loved us when we were unlovable, what does that teach us then about how we comfort other people when they may be acting unlovable? We have to demonstrate agape to them. We'll talk a little bit about more about what that means in just a minute. But we also see that God is merciful and he's gracious and he's patient. I love this passage from Exodus chapter 34 because the previous passage says that the Lord's name, this, the, the Lord told Moses to declare his name and this is what the Lord said. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. You think about the idea that bound up in the name of the Lord is his nature, that God is merciful and he's gracious and he's patient and God extends that to me. If God can extend that to me, then he can then allow me to extend it to other people to bring them comfort during time of struggle that I can be merciful to them, that I can be gracious toward them, that I can be patient with them. If I enjoy those, these things from God, then this ought to be something that I can then convey to other people if I want to, if I want to put the effort into it, if I want to work at it, that I can comfort them in time of their trouble. So the rest of this lesson is really going to be things that we can do to to show God's comfort to other people. I'm, I'm doing this lesson because I've never had anybody teach me this before. I never had a lesson where somebody stood up and said, you know, these are, way, these are things that you can do to help make somebody more comfortable when they are in need, when they are grieving. You can go read books on it. You can find these things. But, but until we talk about it in the church... Until we talk about it in, in, in this environment in which comfort should just flow from us, right? We don't always know how to do it. We don't know what comfort looks like. Because we often do the things that we saw on the first slide, right? We, we feel a need to avoid because we don't know what to say. Or if we do go, we just blah, we just say whatever we, whatever we think will make us feel better. The first thing we have to see, see is that we demonstrate our spirit of love to the needy. Remember, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we read over in Romans. 
And so to understand that then, we have to break down the word agape. Agape is that determined decision to put your interest ahead of my own. By understanding love that way, what it teaches us then is that agape is a cognitive love. What's that mean? It means it's a thought love, right? It's, it's, it, it begins in the mind. Oftentimes we think about love beginning where? Love begins in the heart, right? We fall into love and we fall out of love. Love is something that works upon us. But agape is not that way. Agape is the decision that I make intentionally to put your interest ahead of myself. If that's the case, that's something I can learn, right? I can learn to demonstrate agape to other people. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, that's what we're after, right? That's what we're trying to find. If there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any, afflic- if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Listen to what it says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What does that look like? That means that I'm going to put your interest ahead of myself. I'm not going to strive just to make myself feel comfortable when I'm around you. The last passage here says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. He says that this is something that you can practice. And so we can practice agape by doing this on a regular basis. By the way, you don't have to do this just when somebody's grieving. right? That's something that can happen in the church on a regular basis, to look out for the needs of others, to to minister to the needs of others, to help others uh, when we come together, when we're out in the community, whatever, but particularly when somebody's hurting, to set myself aside and say, you know what, I'm going to come minister to you. I'm going to look out for your needs. What does that automatically mean? That means I'm not going to make myself feel better, right? I'm going to help you feel better. I'm help to help you heal, to help you overcome in time of struggle. And so we see then, since agape is a learned, decisive action, agape is that cognitive uh, action rather than a reaction, rather than an emotion, we can learn what agape looks like. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a passage you're going to be familiar with, but I want you to read it from the idea of this is not just what love is, but this is what love looks like. This is how I learn love. You could, some of you could probably recite this to us. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. What does that mean? That means if I'm going to demonstrate love, I have to be patient and kind with people. Right? I have to practice it. I have to, to get better at it. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Look at verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. If we were just to focus on verse 7 and strive to grow love within ourselves, to be intentional about growing love, think about how much more comforting we could be to the needy if we were willing to bear all things, we were willing to believe all things, we were willing to endure all things, to hope all things. Think about what encouragement we could bring to people. And then we see verse 8, love never fails. Those are the things that we strive to learn, to practice then, to demonstrate love to those who need comfort. The next thing we see is we make a plan. You remember in, in the book of Job when we, were, when we were, last week when we were looking at that in chapter 2, it says that his friends made an appointment together to go and to see Job. You know what that means? They made a plan. We talked about this last week, the fact that they had to make a plan to get together and to go see Job. What that means then is when we see people that are suffering, we need to kind of have a plan in place. Sometimes we go to people, or maybe we want to go and give aid to people, but we don't have a plan. You ever done that before? How's that turn out for you? Not well, right? Because typically what do we do? We do those things, we kind of fall back to those scripts that make us feel better, right? We just talk and talk and talk. And we, and we tell stories about, about our Aunt Mabel and how she went through the same thing. And oh, by the way, she went to this doctor. And oh, by the way, you probably ought to go see that doctor too because that doctor helped her. And she took this kind of medicine. Are you taking that kind of medicine? Maybe you ought to be taking that kind of medicine or you wouldn't be doing this. And maybe if, if you had more faith, maybe you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. You see how you just dug yourself a hole? And that person is no better off because we didn't have a plan. And so comfort means that we, we, we're, we're working towards thinking about how do, we, how do we minister to this? Sometimes right now may be the time to go. And sometimes right now may not be the time to go. You ever had that happen? Well, now may not be the right time to go. So I need to be aware. I need to be aware of what the situation is. We need to have a plan that's based on others' needs and not our own needs. We need to be able to be there for them when they need us and not whenever it's convenient for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we just got to, to, to bend, our, whim, bend our, our time to their whims, but we need to be thinking about what is in their best interest. Sometimes, right now may not be the best time, but maybe a week from now might be good. If you ever watch, particularly when somebody loses a loved one, <clears throat> typically we overwhelm them almost to the point of drowning in the first several hours. And in the first several days. But you know what typically happens after about a week? All the friends go home. All the phone calls stop. All the food quits coming. And that can be a very dangerous time for people. Somebody loses a job and everybody comes to help them in the immediate. But then about two weeks later, that can be a problem for some people. And so we've got to, be, we've got to make sure that we are thinking about what their needs are and having a plan. And we rely on God and His power to help us. In, in, to, in fulfilling that plan. Because you know what will happen sometimes? Sometimes it will be whenever um, you might get a phone call when you're asleep. Or you might get something happen, something comes up on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning when our plans are such and such and they get thrown on their head by the needs of somebody else. God can help us through those times. He can give us the power and the, and the ability to get through those situations, but we gotta have we gotta be able to, to be ready to help other people. What about listening? We have to truly listening 
We have to truly listen to what other people are saying when they're hurting. This is probably the toughest sometimes for me. Which means we have to be intentional about listening. Anybody ever just been intentional about listening? You just, you, you have to tell yourself, I'm not going to say anything right now. I just want to listen to what the person's saying. Now, there's a difference between, and sometimes you hear it one way, sometimes people say there's a difference between hearing and listening, and there's a difference between listening and hearing. I don't care which side of the aisle you fall on, but there is a difference between letting the words go in your ears and out the other side and letting those words go into your ears and you processing them for content. If you've ever sat with somebody who is grieving, you will hear them say things that are illogical and irrational. They will say things that, that you know on a good day they would never say that don't make sense. I would caution all of us, don't respond to those. Don't try to correct them. Don't try to make sense out of things that don't make sense. Listen for the heart of what they're talking about. There, there, there will always be a heart of the matter, the thing that's really causing them the most pain, the most struggle. And sometimes you got it, sometimes it's hard to get to. Sometimes it's difficult to draw that out. And so sometimes you need to ask compassionate questions. Now we need to know the difference between a typical question and a compassionate question. A compassionate question is striving to help them draw out of the situation what it is that's really hurting them. I've got, I've got this up here, uh, and, I, and I noted it because you'll, hear, you'll read this in different books, but they typically consist in this. Men respond differently to questions than women do. And so I'm telling you about a situation, and you would say to me, well, what was your reaction to that situation? What does that do? That causes me to stop and think about my reaction. Men tend to want to talk about their actions and their reactions. Women want, tend to want to talk about their feelings. And so you might gauge your question by even the gender that you're talking with. But the goal is to draw out, to help them draw out, you might say the poison, to get to the root of the matter. How did you respond to that? that I can see that would be a very painful situation. How did you respond to that? Or how did that make you feel? Compassionate questions, you might say it this way. You might say genuinely curious questions. Not to try to pry, not to try to, not to, try to get information out of them that you can use to exploit, but to help them draw out their thought processes on the matter. What do you think might have led to, to you losing your job? What are some things that, 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 that we can do to help, uh, to help you maybe to find another job? Maybe you ask questions about, well, what are some things that you're good at to help encourage them to think about the, the situation from a logical and reasonable standpoint? Um, be cautious about prying, though. Because if you, if you find yourself wanting to know something just for the sake of wanting to know it yourself, you're probably going too far. We do that sometimes, though, don't we? Because curious minds want to know. We, want to, we, we, we all have a little bit of National Enquirer in us, right? And we want to try to get that information. Don't go that far. Let them kind of lead the conversation and to help you to see what it is they're struggling with. And, and another way to do that is reflect their feelings. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
when we reflect their feelings, we are showing that it's normal to feel this way. One of the things that you may have struggled with if you've ever grieved before is the feeling that this isn't normal. Nobody else feels like this. If you haven't gotten anything else out of these mental health uh, sermons is that you are not alone when you are going through these type of things. It is normal to grieve in the situations where people normally grieve in. And so by other people helping to reflect that feeling, it's going to show that it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad when your dog dies. Somebody else might look at that and say, that's ridiculous. It's just a dog, right? But that was their dog. It's important to them. Or when you lose a job. Or when you lose a spouse. Or when you lose a kid. Us helping to reflect their emotions can help them to see this normal. Now, one of the things we want to be cautious again about is to not to, not to increase their grief, right? Not to, not to multiply it, not to, to cause it to be greater than it was when we first showed up. And we also got to be careful that we're not phony. You know where phoniness comes from, right? It's that lack of compassion. It's that lack of love. If we're going to minister to people for any other reason than because we love them and we want them to heal, then it's going to come across as phony. And people can sense phony. They know when it's not true. And so there's times when it might be better for us just to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you be and I'll come back at another time. But we got to be able to people to, to, to reflect without minimizing their, uh, their emotions. And I said, when I say minimizing, I'm not talking about diminishing, helping them feel better, but I'm talking about putting it down, though it's not legitimate. Oh, come on. All right? You shouldn't feel this way. That's not helpful. What about, um, what about resisting the urge to fix other people? We, gotta, we, got to, we have to be careful that we resist the urge to give advice unless we are asked to give advice. And when we are asked to give advice, we have to be careful to not become preachy. Um, there will be times when people will need your advice, and they will ask for it. What should I do in this situation? Give them advice. But if they're not asking for advice, they're not going to be in the mode to receive advice. You know what you ought to do? You ought to go call Dr. So-and-so. They'll ask for it when they're ready, but don't force it on them. Don't tell them what, they need, what you think they need to hear when they're not ready for it. And when we do it, don't just keep it concise. There'll be a time when you can provide more information. There'll be a time when you can give greater detail in your advice, but just keep it to the point. This is what you've asked for. This is what we've offered. And when you offer to help, give specific help. This is one of the things that I'm awful bad about is if, there, is there, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. Has anybody ever told that to you before? When you're on the other end, when you're on the receiving end, what does that, what does that say? What does that mean? I know they feel well, but what am I going to do with that? When have I ever, you know... When am I going to be comfortable calling and saying, hey, by the way, would you come over and help me with this or that? Here's, here's another way that, that we can help. If we see a need, can we fill the need? You know what I just noticed? You don't have many groceries here. What if I went and picked you up some groceries? 
and brought them over. Maybe you might have some medication that, that's at the, at the pharmacy. You know, I'm going by the pharmacy. What if I picked it up for you? Or what if we called somebody and said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Would you like to go along with me? That's another thing. I didn't really put a lot of detail on that. But there's other things that we can do to help draw people out of the situation that they're in to, dis to distract them, you might say, to help them to get the healing process started. Hey, I'm going to go shopping. Would you like to go shopping with me? I know you like to do X, Y, Z. What if we went and did that on Saturday? You see the specificity there? Because it, it provides a time and a place for action to take place. And it doesn't put it on their shoulders to decide when it is and how I can help you, how I can help them. Now, again, be careful because we don't want to intrude in areas where maybe they don't want us to intrude in. But if there's something that you can see and you can offer, offer that help to them. And if nothing else, they can say, no, I think I got that covered. But it gives them the ability where they don't have to make a decision. They don't have to, to try to, to, to think about the logic of a situation whenever they can just say, you know, no, I, I think I can cover that. And we've got to be careful that we don't question their faith. Now, this, is, this can be challenging because you may hear people say, why did God let this happen? There may be times when we don't know. You think about the death of a child. That's a very difficult question to answer. You know what it's okay to do? It's okay to say, I don't know. It's always okay to say, I don't know. But maybe someday we can talk about it. Maybe someday we can, we can visit about this. If you do know the answer... It's okay to say, maybe we can talk about that in the future. I know of a lady who, uh, when she was in her teens, her mom, her mom died, and she had questions about her mom's salvation. And she asked an aunt and uncle at the funeral whether her mom was going to heaven. And they gave her the answer. And she wasn't ready to receive the answer. And that lady is probably in her 80s now, and she still wrestles with that answer. There is a time and a place to talk with people about the questions that they have, but it may not always be in the moment when they are grieving. It's okay to say, that's a good question. We can talk about that at another time. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, I don't know if you don't know the answer to the question. And the other thing that um, I mentioned this a couple I think it was last week, about preaching to people. There's a time and a place to provide scriptural encouragement to people. But it may not be when they're grieving to give them doctrinal answers to, to questions that they have. But if you have a passage that's been a comfort to you and you can share it with them, that will help them to see, hey, this person was comforted by this passage. Maybe I can be comforted by it as well. That's, that's, that's generally a good way to help people. So, you know, I, this is something that helped me. It might help you as well. Because there's a commonality in that then, that they can see. Um, we need to follow up on our commitments. Um, I mentioned this before, but sometimes after the initial wave dies down, people may need help. They may need follow-up in a week or two after a situation happens. That may be, if it, particularly if it relates to a family member, if there's grief or sorrow over the death of a family member or the separation 
There may be a birthday or there may be an anniversary. That may be a difficult time for them. That's always a good time to reach out with a card or with a phone call or if they need to go out and do some shopping or whatever to distract them, to help them heal. That's always a good time. One of the things that we often forget, and I didn't even really know this. I didn't pay much attention to this until I, I read the book. I'm going to show you just a little bit. But they said oftentimes about the three-month period, people will go back into a low again. And then oftentimes at, a one, at one year, they'll fall into that low again. That's a good time to follow up with people. You might even have to put something on your calendar. Three months from now, I'm going to follow up with old so-and-so and make sure he's doing okay. A year from now, I'm going to follow up with old so-and-so and make sure he's doing okay. There's, a, there's a, a, a commitment that comes with helping people. And it's, it may mean that you have to put a calendar together to help them out. And the last one I want to note is, it's important for us to know when we need help, when other people need help, to know when professional help may be needed. Now, this, this can be tricky, but I would tell you to err on the side of caution, particularly if you hear people talking about life not being worth it, when you hear things that may, may be an indication that they are heading down a dark path, when you see dark depression going on, when you see threats of harm and I've got a, the next page will give you some resources that, that I would encourage you to, to put in your phone or to jot down on a piece of paper. But we need, to be, we need to be aware when we see things that are of an immediate nature or of a, of a life-threatening situation that we seek professional help. And we've got to be careful that we don't let <clears throat> the grief of others overwhelm us. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Um, I, I thought I had it memorized, but I can't quote it for you now, so I'm going to go back and just read it for you. <clears throat> Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Now, this isn't the context of sin, but the general context is you be careful that you don't let the situation overwhelm you too. That can happen to us. Sometimes as we help people grieve, as we help them, their grief can overwhelm us. Well, there may be things going on in our lives that it triggers and we have to be careful that we don't let their grief overwhelm us and swamp us as well. Here's a few things, <clears throat> a few professional helps I would encourage you to kind of make a note of. It's always okay to call 911 if there's a life-threatening situation. If you see somebody who's in harm, that, 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 that is prepared to do themselves harm, 911 is the best way to get emergency response. That sounds kind of stark. We think we're talking about helping comfort people in time of need. But unless you talk about it, unless you get pre prepared for these situations, you may not know what to do whenever you show up at somebody's house and they've got a gun. 911 is okay. Here's some other resources. I didn't realize, I had not heard this number until just recently, but 211 is a national crisis hotline that you can call. I don't know if it's available in every part of the country, but if you dial 211 and somebody's answers, they will help direct you toward the right resources. If there's an if there's a, a if it's a suicide situation or if it's a just an emotional crisis of some type, if you need help, they can help in that situation. Locally, the Missouri Department of Mental Health suicide hotline is 1-800-273-TALK. And there will be people there to help those people who are are struggling. Uh, with with suicide, you can also text MoSafe to seven four one seven four one, and somebody will respond to that. 
and then the borough locally here in Springfield, Borough Behavioral Health Clinic's 24-hour crisis line is 1-800-494-7355. The, the 211 number can help you with a lot of different, if, if there's a, like a, a domestic violence situation going on, they can help with that. They can help with financial counseling. They can help with, with, um, with, with a lot of various needs because that's through uh, that that they work through locally through the United Way. And if you're just interested in reading about how to help people, this was the book that I that I leaned a lot on putting this lesson together. What to say when you don't know what to say. There are other books out there like that. This book is pretty in depth. <clears throat> There's a lot of a lot of detail in there dealing with people in trauma, dealing with people who have who have lost their jobs. Um, um, sometimes it can be a little confusing because in one part of the book it may say "Don't say this," and in another part of the book it may say "Do say that." What that te what that tells me is, and what it should tell us is, every situation is different because every person is different. If you don't get anything else out of this lesson today, I want you to know first off, it's okay to be uncomfortable helping other people with their grief. But if you can set yourself aside and minister them out of the, out of the uh, source of agape love, that I want to put your best interest ahead of my own, you will be miles ahead of where you started from if you're just trying to keep yourself from being uncomfortable. If we can say things that are helping to minister to their needs and our own. If we can do things that are going to help to minister to their needs and our own, we're going to help them heal. You'd be surprised how much more healing you can provide by giving somebody a hug than you can with a thousand words. Um, I do want to, I want to take the time to read this real quickly before we close. Maybe I will and maybe I won't. right there on my screen this was a uh, this was written by a, I think it was a person who lost a child she says please don't ask me if I'm over it yet I'll never be over it please don't tell me she's in a better place she isn't here with me Please don't say at least she isn't suffering. I haven't come to terms with why she had to suffer at all. Please don't tell me you know how I feel, unless you've lost a child. Please don't ask me if I feel better. Bereavement isn't, isn't a condition that clears up. Please don't tell me at least you have her, you've had her for so many years. What year would you choose your child to die? Please don't tell me God never gives us more than we can bear. Please just say you're sorry. Please just say you remember my child if you do. Please just let me talk about my child. And please just let me cry. That's ministering to that person's needs. I want to... First off, I want to I wanna thank you all for letting me give these lessons. Um been uh, good a good learning lesson for me a good encouragement for me but I hope it's been encouragement encouraging for you as well um, 
Jesus is the God of all comfort. You remember these comforting words of Jesus. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the comfort that we want to convey to other people to help bring them rest in the time of grief. But ultimately, we know it's only in Jesus that they can find true rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you should find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the rest that God gives. That's the comfort that he gives. That's what he's compelled us then to share with the world. I want to encourage you to think about these lessons in, in ways that we can minister then to people out in the world that are hurting, but also to each other as hurt comes up in our church family. How do we help take care of each other? I want to offer the invitation today to anybody who hasn't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing uh, the song 380 as our song of encouragement. And I want, to, I want to encourage you, if you have a need, if you have a spiritual need, if you have something that's hurting you, please make it known. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.